0: Uh, hey, before we dive in today, let's, uh, let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for the scripture and thank you for Jesus and all that you've given to us uh, through him. Uh, open our eyes now, God, by your spirit, help us to see you as you are, to hear what you have for us. Uh, help me as I speak and help all of us as we listen uh, to you. Thank you, Lord, we pray in your name, Amen. Well, today's uh, message is titled The Transforming Power of Generosity. And we're going to be looking at a couple of scriptures, one from Matthew and one from uh, 2 Corinthians. So let, let me read uh, first the passage from Matthew. And this is some of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. It's from Matthew 6, uh, verses 19 through 24. So Jesus said these things Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Friends, indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're thinking about about generosity today, the transforming power of generosity and what that means from uh, specifically a Christian perspective, a biblical perspective. So when when we talk about generosity, we have to kind of define what we're talking about. I really like this definition from a a book I read recently. Generosity is at its core a lifestyle in which we share all that we have, are, and ever will become as a demonstration of God's love and a response to God's grace. So this generosity thing, it's not just financial giving, but but an open-handed spirit, kind of with, with all the resources. Uh, with which we've been trusted, right? Everything over which we have command, be it time, talent, treasure. Uh, Many people add testimony to that, our own stories, in in a way don't belong exclusively to us. It's the way God is working out the Jesus story in us. We need to share that with other people. And it seems very unlikely that anyone who has crossed an initial line of faith with Jesus could argue that one of the major goals of Christianity uh, is to become more generous. Right? Everybody kind of agrees with that because one of the hallmarks of the gospel is the self-giving love of Jesus, the way he just let go, gave of himself, laid it all down on behalf of other people. So on the whole, generosity has to do with, uh, with biblical stewardship of every resource over which we have either command or some kind of influence. And we're called to think that way as people who've been entrusted with those resources, however they touch us. And, and that being said, it is also true that Jesus taught that what we do with our money is a leading indicator of where we are spiritually. This, this is the, the financial giving uh, uh, kind of idea that, that the, what we do with our money is a, is a spiritual bellwether, so to speak. It, it has the capacity to both lead us and it certainly announced the, announces the direction of a trend, right? A, a trend in our, in our hearts. As a spiritual bellwether, financial giving both leads and announces the direction of our hearts. And that's exactly what Jesus was getting at when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus was really clear. We can't serve two masters. And the illustration he chose to teach us was the illustration of God and money, because this is something of a frontline battle for us, right? Now, I realize that whenever a pastor starts to talk about money, some people think, oh boy, here we go again. Another attempt to separate me from my dollars so that the church gets more money. And I know some of you aren't thinking of that, but I just want to acknowledge that some people do think that. The reality is that if we in the church avoid speaking directly about money, that would be the equivalent of pastoral malpractice because Jesus spoke very directly about money. He used money as a core illustration of the frontline battle that we experience in this world for the allegiance of our hearts. This is a spiritual issue at its core, not a financial issue. The, the Hebrew word for war was the word lachem, And very interestingly, the the word for war is the same as the word for bread. So in Hebrew, the concept of war is the struggle for bread. Or, zoom out a little bit, the struggle for resources, right? This fight to get what we need in this world to survive. Thus, the one who initiates war in order to command greater resources trusts more in those resources than in God. See, the heart of war is a spiritual issue, at least the way they get started. And likewise, the one who hoards resources when others are in need trusts those resources more than God. Again, a spiritual issue, both war and hoarding. And the biblical concept of generosity really gets at this whole conversation. Look at this. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread, there's the word again, Bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Then we read this verse already. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Generosity results in thanksgiving being given to God. And, and that word bread is really important. He who supplies the seed and the bread, lahem, all of the resources that we need for life, Jesus was called the bread of life. All of the resources that we need for living. Jesus was born in Bethlehem or Lehem. There's the word again. Literally Bethlehem means house of bread. The place from which we receive every resource we need for the living of this life. The bread of life was born in the house of bread. Kind of important thing, right? It seems like God would want us to get this, that God really does provide for us in all of this. But there's a problem. If you're a fifth regular, the name Christian Smith might ring some bells for you. I speak of him often in sermons. Our missionary Rick Peterson, who was with us several weeks ago, brought him up as well. Christian Smith is a sociologist at Notre Dame, best known for his work with American young people and what they actually believe. Not what they say they believe now, but what they actually believe. And we've talked quite a bit about that. But in, an, in another study that he did with a man named Michael Emerson, I believe, Christian Smith looked at religious financial giving throughout our country, And he kind of broke this down to to try to figure out what religious people in our country actually believe, kind of by segment. So he came to identify what American Christians actually believe about financial giving. And to summarize their findings, he coined this phrase, discretionary obligation. That on the whole, Christians in the United States understand financial giving to be discretionary you know, something we do when we can to the degree we can. And obligatory, that we really should do this. So he, he breaks it down. This is what American Christians really believe. That that they should, we should give generously to the kingdom. That they give at their own discretion. And they only need to give what they can when they can. Now the spiritual rub in all this gets back to the stuff that Jesus taught about. The statistics about giving in the American church can really mean only one of a couple things, right? There's either a big misunderstanding about what the Bible actually teaches about money, or there's a problem of misdirected trust. And it's really not an either or, it's probably both, right? Uh, Because this, this is one of the front lines, Jesus said. What we do with our finances is really, really important. So let me, let me run through some of the basics of biblical teaching on finances. For some of you who've been around the church for, for decades, this will be nothing new. Uh, but if our understanding is that every five years or so, 30 to 50% of the people in a church are new, then we need to keep teaching this message over and over again. So, so what does the Bible say about giving? First, let's talk about why we give financially. What does the Bible say about that? Look at this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, he shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved that he gave. Now, a basic biblical understanding of life is that you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving but you cannot love without giving. It's impossible. So reason number one, we give because we love, actually. Second, a story Jesus told of a a rich young ruler. a A guy came to Jesus asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, obey all the commandments. And the guy said, well, I've done all that. And then Jesus said this, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Notice what Jesus told him to do. He said, go sell everything and give to the poor. Cash out. Cash out and give to the poor. He didn't say give it all to the poor. He said, give to the poor. Jesus didn't tell the guy to give the money to him because Jesus didn't need the money. Jesus doesn't need our money. The Bible is clear on that. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. Jesus doesn't need our money. So why the command to give from Jesus to this man? Because the guy needed to give. Right, Jesus saw that money had a hold of his heart, that his trust was misdirected, and the best route to spiritual health was to release the object of his misdirected trust, his money in this case. For us, it might be our money or it might be something else. Right? The spiritual issue is the same. Whatever it is that we're trusting in that's not Jesus, we need to let go of. And the rich young Ruler wanted something from Jesus, but he was unwilling to release that of greatest value to him. And he, he went away sad. And notice that he was invited uh, with the same invitation extended to the apostles. Did you catch that? Come, follow me. That's exactly what Jesus said to all of the apostles who said yes to that, that invitation by the way, and there's a a whole context here. When a Jewish rabbi said that to a person, the rabbi was communicating a whole world of understanding to that individual. They were saying, hey, come follow me. That meant I believe that you can be like me with my help. I'd love for you to come study with me because I believe in you. I think that you could have all the same characteristics and, and behaviors as me. Come follow me. And this potential apostle said no. Because he valued his retirement account too greatly. Wow. That's a spiritual issue. Reason two we give. We give to counter the continual temptation to trust our wealth or money instead of Jesus. And the third and, and, and least last reason for today, there are many more, but... Because Jesus said this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And when when you read that quickly, you might make the same mistake that I made when I read it quickly the first time. And your takeaway is this, well, you invest in things that you value, right? We write checks to things that appeal to us for which we have a heart. Seems like common sense logic, right? You'll direct your money toward the things that appeal to you or basically your, your treasure will follow your heart. But look at it now. That is not what Jesus said. If that's what he was saying, he would have said it this way. For where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. But that's not what he said. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Meaning that our hearts actually follow our treasure. The place where we invest or give things of value to us, our hearts will follow that. So this is not an obligatory duty, but a spiritual invitation, really, a spiritual discipline to be engaged if we would like to set the direction of our hearts purposefully and intentionally according to the teaching of Jesus. So reason number three, we give to set the direction of our hearts Toward the kingdom of God. So those are, those are quick, the whys of biblical giving. Now, now the what. What does the Bible say about financial giving? And this is going to be a little bit like drinking from a fire hose because I'm just going to rifle it, right? But I, we, we need this because I get that it's new to some of us. Uh, this this whole idea of of releasing resource particularly financial resource or our increase in this world as we work and produce things the income that comes to us is come come i mean it started way back very beginning of the bible and it tracks all the way through look at this from deuteronomy be sure to set aside a tenth of all your fields produce each year uh, all your fields produce so it's it's wide open whether you're growing grain or or olives uh, or grapes for wine if you have herds or flocks in a field whatever the field produces and this is referring to basically your your total productive income whatever new comes your way that's your income and don't miss the tone it says be sure to do this this is an important thing and that, that's the tone throughout the entire New Testament and when you put all those instructions together in the, in the Old Testament here's what you get Baseline giving was 10% of income. That, that's literally what the word tithe means. It means 10% of something. Uh, so baseline giving was considered to be a tithe. Income was one's gross income. Again, everything that the field produces uh, was the way we thought about this in the Old Testament. And giving was to be the first thing that we did with our resources, not the last It wasn't the discretionary bit like Christian Smith's study, right? The thing we might do at the end if there's enough left. This was the first thing we did with our financial resources. Tithes were not volitional offerings but an amount that belonged to God. That was the Old Testament understanding. So much so, in fact, that if a person were to withhold a tithe of their income, that was described in Old Testament terms as robbing God as withholding from God something that actually belonged to him. And offerings are different than tithes, if you didn't know that. Tithes and offerings are different things biblically. A tithe is the 10% of income that's understood to belong to God by the Old Testament. An offering was a more of a free will kind of thing, a volitional gift given above and beyond the tithe. So, so we, we mimic that biblical language every week in the service. We, we invite the deacons forward to receive God's, do it with me, God's tithes and our offerings. Right, there's a biblical theology in that phrase, that the tithe belongs to God and our offerings are above and, and beyond that. So that's, that's, all, that's all the Old Testament stuff. Now you might be thinking, but yeah, we've got a New Testament. To what degree does all that Old Testament stuff apply to me? And I've got a funny story on that actually. I was a, a, a young hotshot pastor fresh out of seminary serving a church in Des Moines, Iowa as an associate pastor. And man, I landed there and it was probably within my first three or four months we had this conversation about giving around the staff table at a staff meeting and man, I, I uncorked my best stuff and said, well, nope. this is, you know, New Testament says, you know, cheerful, voluntary, it's, it's about heart, all that Old Testament stuff, is that's no more. It's just, you know, are we, are we pleased with our gift? We need to, you know, do this whole thing. I went on for like three or four minutes and the senior pastor was just sitting there listening. His name is Tony Viss, by the way. He's a good friend of mine and mentor to me. And after all that, he kind of let some silence ride there. And, and then he just looked at me and he said, John, are are you really gonna argue that Jesus died so you could give less? Well, now that you put it that way, <laughs> you know, we, we, we don't believe that the New Testament nullifies the Old Testament. We believe the New Testament fulfills the Old Testament. So the question for us is how does New Testament teaching on financial giving fulfill the Old Testament teaching on financial giving? Because the New Testament adds crucial elements, like these. Giving is to be voluntary, not under compulsion. This is not one of the items on a religious checklist that we need to mark off to make sure that we're right with God. Jesus saves us, not any of our own action on our behalf. Giving is to be cheerful, not reluctant. Not, not obligatory, right? As Christian Smith found that most American Christians act, believe about financial giving. Uh, but, but joyful, not because we have to, but because we get to. And I could throw a hundred cliches at you right now, right? To illustrate this. One of them I love is if you can't live happily on 90% of your income, you're probably not going to live happily on 100% of your income. I personally have found that to be absolutely true. So, so all of these kind of New Testament things, it's not about a legalistic obedience to a code. This is not about churches trying to pry money out of people's hands. This is a spiritual issue. It has to do with us, and it has to do with the orientation of our allegiance. It's a trust issue in our hearts. With regard to giving, the New Testament says this, be generous financially because you want to, not because you have to. Be generous financially because you can and you want to acknowledge God's goodness to you. Be generous financially to combat this continual message that we should trust in our bank account. Be generous financially because you're delighted to release things of worldly value, understanding that you're investing in things of infinite value, heavenly value, that you're participating in kingdom things, right? Be generous financially and experience the joy, the cheer, and the blessing of doing something active in your life to take up your full identity in Christ. I mean, it just goes on and on like that, right? And the amount of money does not matter at all. Jesus' teaching made that absolutely clear. Uh, Remember, there's a story where a widow in a temple comes and just puts a little teeny bit in. And he says, man, that was an incredible act of faith for her because she doesn't have anything. I mean, this, this, this is the heart of it, right? So I asked, I asked uh, several people if they might be willing to join me up here today and just share from their hearts about their experience of financial giving. And for a variety of reasons, none of them could join me, uh, travel and, and some other reasons. But they, they shared some thoughts with me. Um, all of them, all of the people with whom I spoke said that they find great freedom and joy in giving financially. And here's some of the other things that were said. It feels really, really good to feel like you're not only obeying God, but blessing God and other people by doing this. It's about living into it and trusting God and taking God at his word. It's choosing to be generous over doing other things we might do with our money. There, there's an intentional choice. I could do this, but I'm not gonna do this. I'm gonna do this instead because I value this, right? Right? And this, we found great joy in obeying God in this area of our lives. Here's the heart of it. I have never met a person who regretted their decision to increase their financial giving according to biblical principles. And I I really would challenge you to do that survey on your own. I mean, talk to people. If if this is a new idea to you, uh, from the spiritual perspective now, find somebody who's doing this and, and, and talk to them. And, and if, you're, if you're there thinking, pastor, you're landing on thick, we're, we're, it's tight, we're tight. Th- this is not about just saying to everybody, hey, you've got to sharpen the pencil and give more. I, I think that if we really seek the Lord in this, God will reveal different things to, to different people. I mean, I, perhaps what the Lord is asking of you right now and the most faithful step for you is actually to raise your hand and ask for the financial help that you know you need. And that's great. If the Lord is doing that, do that. God is good. We live in community. We all have ups and downs. And the beautiful part about living in biblical community is we can support one another. Thus our Deacon's Benevolence Fund. Right. This is why we do this as a, as a church. So this isn't just, hey, give more. This is, in this whole conversation about money and all the emotionally loadedness of, of you know, it's because all of us have different experiences, some think we shouldn't talk about this at all. It's just a private thing. But all everybody's at a different place in this. Don't miss the spiritual issue. It's primarily a spiritual issue, and that was proven, by the way, in a big study of of uh, American churches, North American churches, in this case, and and. Uh, there were categories of spiritual growth identified by people who were Christ followers. And these same people who were followers of Jesus described it as, uh, as they were in a stage that they described as growing in Christ, kind of learning about Jesus, learning more about their faith. They were Christians, but felt a bit like a rookie in, in the whole thing. No matter how many years they've been involved, they still kind of felt new and, and felt like a rookie in this for them to move from that, that stage of growth to the next stage of growth, which they called close to Christ, they, they understood they didn't have it all figured out, but they really didn't feel like a rookie anymore. It wasn't that they were mastering it all. It's not that they didn't struggle with sin still. It's just they, they moved from growing to close to Christ. This study found that the, the three primary catalysts for spiritual growth from that phase of growing to that stage of being close to Jesus were these and in this order uh, intentional prayer actually seeking the Lord through conversational prayer uh, second reflection on scripture not just reading the Bible now but reading it meditating on it really thinking about what the Bible says and trying to think about what that might mean for me so those two are really obvious catalysts to spiritual growth right but number three was this Giving a tithe financially, making it to the place where those people in this study were actually giving away 10% of their income. However you choose to calculate that, net, gross, whatever, right? But where they, they put a mark in the sand and, and they, they moved to that point and they got there. That was the third greatest catalyst for spiritual growth. Crazy, Right? And again, not about a church trying to pry money out of people's hands. This is just, in my estimation, research-based confirmation that what Jesus said is absolutely true. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, disciples of Jesus find life in giving because there's transforming power in generosity. Because it reflects who Jesus is. And what Jesus is doing in the world right now. So again, if you're a little skeptical of all this stuff, I I encourage you, find somebody who's doing it. Uh, If if you're a rookie giver right now, in the place of giving nothing, we're at different stages. Some of us are students. Some of us are, are retired and have been for a long time and are a very fixed income. This is not about amounts of money. Not at all. This is about our hearts and how we relate to money and what role money plays in our life, particularly in the ultimate allegiance of our hearts. Financial giving is really the only area in life where God invites us to test him. Did you know this? This is straight out of the scripture. Look at Malachi. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room for it. That's stunning. God said it. So I invite us to that challenge. You now some of us have, are, very, are very planned in this. I invite us to greater generosity Maybe for you that's financial because you know this is an issue. Maybe that's greater generosity in a different kind of way for you. There's, I'll, leave, I'll leave you with this. this the two basic kind of values that I take from all of the biblical teaching on this is that our financial giving should be planned, uh, meaning we should think about it in advance uh, because if we don't have a plan, you know, we won't abide by any kind of plan. It's not just a one-time thing. Some people give weekly. Some people give Annually, some people give in other kinds of ways. Uh, Crystal and I have, ado- have adopted that whole online giving thing that's available through the app and our website. And I, with Ross Bloom, I smile as the desk goes by because I know that we have a plan and it's, it, that plan is being fulfilled. And that giving should be proportionate, meaning it should be based on what's coming in. It shouldn't just be what we can when we can So if you make any change with your giving, I'd encourage you to make it planned and proportionate. If you're not giving anything, don't start with 10% right away unless you feel the Lord saying, do that right now. The advice of our friend from this church was good, right? It's about living into it and trusting God. So if you make it planned and proportionate in some way, 0.5% of your income, 1% of your income, something like that, And you you advance that plan and keep praying about it and keep asking God about the test he invited us to take. I believe that the Lord will speak to us in this. And ultimately, this is again spiritual invitation, not religious duty. Jesus extended this invitation to us. And in my mind, we would be foolish to ignore it because it is an invitation. Jesus was clear, generous financial giving will help us spiritually if engaged in the way Jesus described, it will make us more like Jesus. And that is a good thing. That's what we're here for. Disciples of Jesus find life in giving because there is transforming power in generosity. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me, would you? God, we do thank you for everything that you give to us and we're mindful of some of the warnings that you extended in, in the scripture too that it, if we become affluent, it's all too easy to begin to trust in ourselves, in, in our capacity to produce income and to rely upon our savings and, and, and all of that and the, the warning that you extended us in scripture is that in that affluence, we might actually forget you we might actually begin to believe that we live in a world where you're just an idea and not a person so father perish that thought by your spirit ban that idea from our hearts help us to relate to you as the person you are the perfect parent you are with extraordinary love for us Extraordinary patience with us. Come, Holy Spirit, in uh, to the space of our, of our mind and that inner dialogue where there's a conversation going on almost continually inside of us and help us by your Spirit to take every thought in that dialogue captive to the obedience of Jesus because we love you, God. We want to honor you and we want all that you have for us. So if anything stands in the way of that, God, by your spirit, would you help us identify those barriers and overcome them in your strength and your power. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, we pray in your name, amen.